All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Hopefully that woke you up some. We're glad that you're here because I need some participation this morning because I want to know right now who's going to be bold enough to admit this in front of everybody. We are like just the 12th day into the new year. How many have already messed up your New Year's resolutions? Be bold about it. Admit it. See, we came into this year. Go ahead and put your hands down. We came into this year with high hopes. And this is one of the reasons why a couple years ago I stopped setting resolutions and I started focusing on goals. Because we come in with these crazy resolutions. And we come in and we say, I know this year I'm going to cut back. I'm not going to have any sugar all year long. We set these unrealistic expectations. And we say, that's it. I'm done. No sugar for all, all year, 2014. And we make it all the way to lunch on January 1st. And we got some leftovers from the night before, and there's some sugar in it. And we, oh, and, and we eat. And the only reason we made it to lunch is because we stayed up the night before and didn't even have breakfast. And so we didn't really make it through one meal, and we're already breaking the, the resolution. And, and so a while back, I started setting goals instead of resolutions. But that's, that's minor, because here's the point of this, and here's where we're going with this. Regardless of whether or not you've messed up, grace is more powerful than any turning of any calendar page. Grace is more powerful of a starting point than any turning of a calendar page. So if you've messed up, today's a new day. Start over. Like right now, because one of our goals as a church, and I believe this is entirely possible, we want this year to be the best year you've ever had. We want 2014 to be the best year that you've had because ultimately we want this year for Ridge Point Church to be the best year Ridge Point Church has ever had. And this is going to be an important part of this series bought in. The church that we talk about in, in this series, we're talking all about the purpose of the church and what our role is in the church. The church isn't an institution, and the church isn't a building. The church is the people. We are the church, and we are the church when we gather here like this together worshiping, and we're just as much the church when we leave the doors. And so this series is going to be about the purpose of the church. We're going to talk about some specific things we're going to be doing as a church in 2014. We're going to be talking about what our role is as individuals within the church. But it's important for us to grasp that we are just as much the church when we leave here as when we enter into here. We don't necessarily go to church, we just be the church. And if we do that, then we can have this, we're, we're aspiring for this goal. We say we want to have the best year in 2014 that we've ever had. As individuals, and ultimately as individuals, we make up the church. So as a church, we want to have the best year we've ever had. And some people say, well, that's unrealistic. How can we all have the best year? And, and here's an important thing. Last week, I talked about this idea if you've been married for any length of time, our goal is, is if you've been married for 10 years, that at the end of 10 years, husbands, you love your wife more than you did when you were dating. And it didn't seem possible at the time, but you sit here at the end of those 10 years and say, I didn't think it was possible, but baby, I love you so much more now than I ever did 10 years ago. And, and ultimately, that's because when we talk about even the idea that we want this to be the best year our church has ever had, it's not in competition with prior years, but it's complementing. So we've had all of these experiences, and you've had all these experiences, and you've seen God's blessings up through 2013, and we're not in competition against prior years. We're not sitting here and saying, okay, back in 2010, I had a really, really good year, so my satisfaction level is at a 9.7. So if 2014 is going to beat that, it has to be really good. It has to be like in the 9.8 range. It's not like that. We're not competing against prior years, but we're saying we've already had some really good years, and building on those experiences, complementing those experiences, is 2014. And so I say that first, the reason why this can be the best year we've ever had is because we're not competing against other years. We're adding to them. But also because of this. I believe God is still at work today. If we look around and see the things that God is 
actively participating in our world, and we as a church are part of that, then we have to move forward saying, God, I believe this year can be the best year as we look to do these things, as we look to try to accomplish these goals as individuals and as a church, as we look to aspire towards all these great things you have for us with your strength and with your provision. God, we believe this can be the best year we've ever had. And so we're going to start this series called Bought In. Because, because honestly, the church over the past couple of, of years, really over the past couple of decades, has gotten a black eye, and at times deservedly so. There's times it seems like churches can do some goofy things, and you've probably been a part of those or seen those on TV. And we see the church get caught up in a scandal, or we see a church out protesting on the corner, and we say, why do they have to do that? It gives all of us a bad name when you do that. And we can see the church do some of those things, get frustrated with those things. And yet I don't think that's necessarily a church problem as much as it is a people problem. See, again, the church is the people, and, and we all, we can make mistakes, we're mistake prone. And so when we see those things, it's not necessarily a black eye on the church, it's just this is who we are. We're people, we're broken, we're fallen, we're not perfect. And yet for every instance I can look at and say, well, I can imagine, look, look how the church messed up in this area, or look at when they did this, and I didn't, I didn't particularly care for that thing. I could just as easily say, yeah, we might have messed up there, but what about this right here? So we don't always get it right, but sometimes we nail it. Last year, we had a chance to see some of those experiences firsthand and to see how the church stepped up and responded, uh, sometimes in, in really supernatural ways to be able to take care of specific needs that people had, to be able to build homes and, and reach out in the community and, and love people and share the hope that's found in Jesus. And so this year, as we launched out on a series called Bought In, it's about first discovering the purpose of the church. Why does the church even exist? Perhaps you have some friends that, that are sitting there right now and, and maybe they used to go to church and they get really frustrated with the church or maybe they've never been to church before and, and you begin to have a conversation inviting them to church and, and they're saying, well, okay, tell me about church. Why would I even want to go to church? What's the big deal? Why does the church even exist? So this series is going to begin, uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to, as we kind of kick this thing off, I'm going to imagine there's a person uh, standing next to me, and I'm having a discussion with one of my friends. We're sitting down, maybe at Starbucks. We're having a discussion, and he's asking the question, okay, what's the big deal at church, and why should I be involved in it? So the series is going to begin by talking about the purpose of the church, why the church exists, and then it's going to kind of transition over the next couple of weeks to say, okay, if that's the purpose of the church, then how do I get plugged into that mission? And so today for us to get there, we're going to look throughout Scripture at a couple of different passages. And normally we don't do that. Normally we pick one passage, kind of try to dive deeper into it. But today we're going to look at a couple of different passages. One where Jesus talks about an analogy that, Jesus, that there is for the church throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament. Uh, but, but then also we're going to look at the, the analogy Jesus has for the confession of the church. And this is a really big deal. I'm really excited about this. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about these analogies. So we're going to be flipping around a little bit, so be ready. If not, that's fine. The words will appear up on the screen. The first analogy that Jesus has for the church, maybe you've heard this before, and it seems a little bit weird at first, but the church is called the bride of Christ. And we see in the, in the New Testament, Jesus is talking in the Gospels, and he's talking about the church, and he refers to the church as a bride, and he refers to himself as a bridegroom. And then over in Ephesians 5, if you've been to any weddings where pastors leading that, that ceremony, a lot of times he'll give a specific challenge to the husbands, and he'll say to the husbands, husbands, here's your role. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for it. Then over in Revelation, which we're going to look at right now, if you have your Bibles, go and open up to the book of Revelation. But over in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, we see this analogy being carried out throughout the New Testament. But in Revelation 19, verse 7, it says this, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. 
And the idea is the marriage of the Lamb has come, the, the, the wedding is taking place, and there's this analogy that at first seems really weird. So wait a minute, Jesus, you're calling us as the church your bride. Like, that seems a little bit weird at first, until we go back to that passage in Ephesians. And you realize the command of, of God there is that husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Like, that's the, the passion that husbands should have for their wife. And the same way Christ represents his love for us who are, who are his bride, his church. And he's willing to give himself up. Husbands, our responsibility is, as husbands, as dad, is, is, is to love our wife, to, to put herself up on a high pedestal, to lift her up, to, to love her, to sacrifice for her, and ultimately to be willing to die for her. And so it says the same thing about how the way Jesus relates to the church is he loves us, he sacrifices us, the sacrifices for us, and he's willing to die for us. And this is the beautiful picture of why we celebrate the church as the bride of Christ, because sometimes it seems like the church does some goofy things, and it's enough for all of us. I pray routinely, God, it's very easy for us to get cynical when we see some of the stuff that's happening in the church. I say, God, remove that cynicism from me. Let me be optimistic about what your church is doing, because this is a big deal. When the church is called the bride of Christ, it means that Jesus looks at us, and he says, I love the church. I can look at the church and see all the faults and point out the flaws and point out all the faults of the church. But Jesus looks at us and says, no, the church is lovely. It's beautiful. In fact, I was willing to die for her. And I don't know if that's fair, that we're pointing out flaws of something that Jesus loves. Now, there's a, there's a balance there. We should be challenging the church. We should be wanting to see the church grow. But sometimes we're so quick to point out flaws and blemishes. Because it's ultimately us. And I can point out all the flaws and all the blemishes in my life. But Jesus, because of what he did, looks at the church and says, the church is lovely. The church is beautiful. The church has value. A while back, I think I've shared this story before, but a while back I had a chance to uh, network with a group of youth pastors. I used to, a former student pastor, and I was meeting with these youth pastors on a routine basis, and I was in charge of kind of leading this group for this training we were doing, and, and it was a bunch of guys who were kind of newer in ministry, and so we started talking through some of the ideas, like the whole idea was we were talking about ideas and principles and practices in youth ministry, and so we begin the meeting, and I say, okay, before we begin, I want to pray for you guys, pray for your churches, so let's go around the room. How can I pray for you guys? And to the person, there's probably seven or eight of us gathered, and to the person, we're struggling with this in our church, we're going through this, this conflict, we're having this mistake, and, there, and we literally went around the room, and everyone had some, it wasn't like pray for these good things that are happening. Every one of them was like, we're having this problem, we're having this problem, we're having this problem, and I'm supposed to lead this teaching for an hour and a half, and the first 15 minutes, it seems like it's miserable. I'm like, God, how are we going to transition from all, it seems like it's kind of getting really, really down. How are we going to transition from this to talking about things that can help the church grow and change? And how are we going to do that? And so all the guys, you can feel just the energy level in the room dropping. I'm like, God, something has to happen. And I promise, I'm, I'm not smart enough to think of this, but it's like God downloaded this just when we needed it. And, and I'm speaking to these guys, and I said, guys, we're going to pray, but here's the thing. I know that we make mistakes, and churches have all these spots and blemishes. But the church is still the bride of Christ. He still sees us as beautiful. And so as we look and we can sometimes see those faults and see those faults, we have to realize the church is the bride of Christ. See, I have some friends who are saying, and, and a lot of what this message is going to gear towards is, is people who maybe they went to church and they, they had some bad experience. They said, I'm going I'm to stop going to church. I'm still going to fall in love with Jesus. I'm still going to embrace Jesus, but I'm not going to embrace the church any longer because I've had the drama, I've had the conflict, and I'm done with it. That would be very similar to someone coming to me and say, JJ, I really, really, really like you. But your wife, I don't care for her so much. 
So can we just do away with her and just focus on you? And I'd be like, no way, are you kidding me? If someone came up to you and said that to you, if you're a husband right now, and someone came up to you and said, I really like you, but can we just separate you from your wife for a little bit because I want to focus on you and forget about her for a little bit. Guys, would that work for you? No, that's crazy. And yet sometimes we see people do that. My wife's giving me the eye over here. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> but, but sometimes we see people do that, that they say, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't love what the church is doing. And I understand there's times that the church can make mistakes, but at the same time, the church is the bride of Christ. And when he sees her, he sees her as lovely. And so my prayer as, as an individual, forget about, about my role as a pastor for a second, my role as an individual is I've seen some of those things. I say, God, remove that cynicism from my life. I know the church has made mistakes, and I know that I've seen that firsthand, and I know some of the hurt and the pain, but if I'm going to give myself fully to your church, I have to get past the pain of the past and see the church as you see her. And God, you see her as lovely and as beautiful and willing to sacrifice for her. So the first analogy we see Jesus talking about throughout Scripture, but especially here as we close out Revelation, is the church as the bride of Christ. The second thing, and I really, really love this, is not just about the church, an analogy about the church itself, but an analogy about the confession of the church. If you have your Bibles, we've got a few verses we're going to look at here. So flip over to Matthew chapter 16. And I love this teaching. Jesus is, is sitting here, and he's actually talking to one of his disciples, a guy by the name of Peter. And it's, it's a teaching we're going to get to in just a second that, that is actually often misunderstood in churches. And so we're going to talk about this, get a little bit deeper into this for just a second. But in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is, is speaking to Peter. And by this time, Jesus is starting to become more well-known. People are starting to, to talk about him. And there's, there's, there's all these ideas people are asking, who is he? Who is this guy? And all these ideas are rolling about who, the, who Jesus is. And so Jesus comes up to, to Peter, one of his disciples, and he says, Peter, tell me some of the stuff that's going around. Who do people think that I am? And Peter says, all right, Jesus, there's a lot of people talking about you. And some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. There's a lot of confusion as to who you really are. And Jesus says, okay, Peter, but what about you? Peter, who do you think that I am? And I don't think Peter realized the words that he was about to say when he answers this. Literally should become the confession of the church. But Jesus, Jesus asks a question. Peter replies, and, and Simon Peter replied, Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. It says this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. So Peter replies and says, here's what I believe about you, Jesus. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the hope, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, P and Jesus, he replies that to Jesus. And Jesus says, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or literally Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. A lot of people hadn't even understood this about Jesus yet. But when he comes to Peter and says, Peter, who do you think I am? Peter says, I believe you're Christ. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the hope that we're waiting for. And Jesus says, Peter, you got that right. See, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Not, most people haven't accepted this yet. But the Father in heaven revealed, revealed this to you. And then he says this about Peter, what's often misunderstood. And I tell you, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. He says this about Peter. And, and this is kind of neat because Peter's name is actually in the Greek language, it's the word Petros. And the word Petros literally means, I got one with me, the word Petros literally means little rock. Now, if you're far away away, you probably can't even see that. But I brought with me a little rock, and, and you get these outside in any of your houses, and, and he says, that, Peter, that is your name. You are a little rock. 
But then he says, as your name is Petros, little rock, so, and he says, I will build my church on this big rock. The word there is, goes from, Peter's name is Petros, and the word here that talked about when it says that I'll build my, on this rock I'll build my church, that is Petra. That's a big rock. He's saying, Peter, in the grand scheme of things, you're pretty small. Even though you're a good guy and you're, you're, you're a disciple and, and you do some amazing things, in the big picture, you're a very little rock. But what you just said, the confession that you just made upon this rock, on this big rock, I'm going to build my church. The church was being built on the confession of Peter. Peter, before even realizing how deep his words were, says, here's what I believe about you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe you are the Messiah. We've been waiting for this for so long, and I believe that you're it. And he says, Simon, Peter, you got that right. You're a little rock used in a big way to bring about this big rock. And on that big rock, the foundation, I'm going to build this church. The church is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he says, if we have that as our confession, if we move forward as a church believing that, then he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm a big student of church history, which is funny because in high school and in middle school, I wasn't necessarily a big, I didn't care for history a whole lot. Give me some of the other classes, but I wasn't really a big history buff. I know we have some history buffs here and that's awesome for you, but that wasn't me. I didn't really care for history. And then I started studying church history and I don't know what it was about it, but it started to fascinate me. And I started to read these stories of, of these, these people who lived real lives. And one of my favorite characters throughout church history is a guy by the name of Martin Luther. If you've, even in, in secular history, they talk about this guy a lot. And October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther is going through this big transition in his life and trying to figure things out for himself. And, and he actually at one time had a hatred for God and he starts to, to, have, to have a love for God and he starts to see some of the changes that need to take place. And so October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther takes his 95 Theses, nails them on a castle, uh, at a, at a castle in, in Wittenberg on the door. And, and he, with, by doing that, he begins a Protestant Reformation. And he sees all these amazing experiences and all these great things happen in Germany. One of my other favorite characters in, in all of church history is an English pastor by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And to see the, the stuff that he did and the sermons that he preached and the, and the power that he had long before we had all the stuff to, to, to amplify our voice. He didn't have any of that, and yet he'd reached thousands of people, and he, he had this boldness and this tenacity about him. And I love seeing those, those people in church history, and yet we go to those countries where in, in Germany during the Reformation it was the hotbed of evangelical change that was happening in the Reformation. And you see England in, in, in the time of, of Charles Spurgeon, people are going to church, people are getting excited. And yet if you go to those countries today, in both of those countries right now, studies say, best they can tell, about less than 10% of people in those countries still actively go to church. And so we look at the United States, and some people right now are getting down about it. It seems like church attendance is slipping a little bit. And we're still roughly in the 40% range that people go to church on a regular basis. And I'm not smart enough, and I'm not a prophet or anything like that to be able to figure this thing out. To say, is that going to happen to us? We don't know. Past history doesn't necessarily indicate the future results that are going to happen. And so we can't look at those countries and say, man, one time they were on fire for God and now they're not. It might or might not happen that way for us. But the one thing I know is that if we do this, if we, we say our confession is a church and we're going to build on that foundation, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the promise that we have is the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And so if I'm having this discussion with my friends and we're sitting down at Starbucks and he's sitting there saying, okay, tell me a little bit about church. I'm gonna give you a half hour. And we're gonna have this half hour long discussion. I'll give you a half hour to convince me 
why I should go to church. I'd probably first of all talk about some of the unique characteristics that make Ridgepoint Church, Ridgepoint Church, like that just kind of where a lot of times the conversation goes. Maybe there's conflict stuff in the past, but let's, let's, let's look at it. Maybe a different church setting here. Come check this out, see what we have. But let me talk about why the church is important. The church is important because ultimately the church is the bride of Christ. God loves her and God gave his son to die for the church. The church is important because on the foundation of the confession that Jesus has, as long as we do this as a church, as long as we're getting involved in a lot of things this year, and I love some of the stuff that we do. I love when we go and we build homes and we change people's lives and we help people out. Those are all powerful. But if we don't have as our confession moving forward, if we do all of those things, all these social justice causes that we get really excited about, but Jesus isn't at the forefront of it, then it's meaningless because it, it, the, the, here Jesus isn't saying, the teacher isn't saying, if you do all these things, all these things are going to prevail. But the church is going to prevail because of the confession of Jesus. So as long as the gospel is forefront, as long as we're focused on him, then the promise is the gates of hell will not prevail against what we're doing. The church is going to rise up. And so as we're talking through this thing, I'm like, listen, I want you to be part of the church. I want you to be part of this because Jesus loves us, because God died, God sent his son to die for the church. The church, the confession is, is so important. And, and ultimately, there's responsibility for each one of us within the church. So I'm sitting there, I'm having this discussion with my friend, and I say, okay, I see what you're saying. I can kind of understand what church is about and the significance of church. But then why is it necessary for me to be a part of it? And ultimately, we talk about the purpose and the plan God has for the church. But we also talk about the responsibility because, as we said at the very beginning, we are the church. Right here, the people in here, we, the individuals are the church. And as we gather here, people are gathered across the country and across the world worshiping Jesus. And, and those people together, we are the global church saying we want to rise up and make a difference in this world. We want to get involved in some of these causes. But in all of that, the confession that we have is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the hope, and everything we do want to, wants to point to that. And once we do that, we start to bear the responsibility, each one of us individually bearing the responsibility. Because as the church gathered, if, as the New Testament's broken down, we have the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the story of Jesus. After the story of Jesus, the book of Acts is the history of the early church. And we see the church doing these phenomenal things in a time when, when they were busy, when they were persecuted. Uh, they were living an agrarian lifestyle, meaning a lot of people working out in the fields, they're working long days, uh, really hot days, and, and, and because of that, they're tired, and they're wore out, and, and they're weary. And yet, we're going to see this, that, and sometimes they'd work six or seven days a week, and they're being persecuted. They had all the reason in the world to say, listen, I, I want to be at church this week, but I'm really busy. There's a lot of stuff going on in my life. And, and so I, I'm going to miss this week, but I'll be back next week. Into that setting, we read this, this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's a setting where people could all, had all the excuses in the world. But, but Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews says this. Not neglecting to meet together, this is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. They were tired, they were wore out. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, here's the significance of the church. We're gathering together, we're gathering together to encourage each other. Because right now, in their midst, or right now in our midst, there are people that are broken, there are people that are hurting. And we can't do this alone. See, for my friend that's sitting there saying, well, I, I used to go to church, but I can grow now with, without Jesus, and I just give it all the drama. That works for a season. But we start to struggle, we start to feel alone, and there's not the body around us to encourage us, to lift us up, to pray for us. 
And so the writer of Hebrews here is saying, listen, I know that there's a lot of stuff that's happening in your life. I know there's every reason in the world why you don't get plugged in the church, but it is essential, not just for the church. The church doesn't necessarily need us, but we need the church. Not the building, not the institution. We need the people because we struggle. Listen, if there isn't a time in your life where you struggle, then I'm going to let you have the microphone and, and you can talk because I struggle and I struggle on, on a regular basis and we go through life and, and if we are alone in those struggles and we don't have the body around us to lift us up and to encourage us, it just simply doesn't work. As much as my intentions are to grow, if I don't have the people around me to hold me accountable, to love me, to, to build me up when I need to be built up, I struggle. And so God gives us the church say, listen, when you're down, they're going to be there to lift you up. When you're struggling, when you're making mistakes, they're going to be there to hold you accountable and to encourage you to do the right thing. The church is about a group of believers gathering together to say, we want to build each other up and we want to reach this world. See, the early church had no idea the institution the church was going to become, the buildings we were going to be able to build. What they knew is they had the teachings of Jesus. And they said, we want to gather together to talk about these teachings. And as the writings became more extensive, they added to those with the letters we have later on throughout the New Testament. But they would gather together, talk about what Jesus was doing, and say, how can we get on mission to go do those things? They didn't have all the organization, all the setup. They said, we just want to go do this. We want to embrace the message of Jesus and take this message to a lost world. And ultimately, if we reduce it down to its simplest place, that's what we do. And that's what we want to be bought into. Because there are a bunch of people right now that want to belong and want to fit in but they're wondering where they fit in. And they want to join something bigger than themselves. I think that's something that we all long for. And so the whole idea of the church is, is, is being built up throughout here, and, 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 I'm, and throughout Scripture and throughout what we've been talking about, and the idea is we have to be consistent in, in attendance and growing and challenging each other and equipping each other. But if, if I'm talking to a friend one last time, and he says, okay, but, but isn't it possible, like I've been to church and, and one, this one friend who's, who's been to church was kind of struggling and said, I, I can't, I gave up on church, but I'm going to grow without the church because I can do that. And it's true. We can read the Bible. We don't need the church to read the Bible. We can go read the Bible and start to grow and we can go listen to some, maybe listen to some Christian CDs. And so I'm going to get my worship through that and I'm going to read scripture and I don't need that to grow. And I've seen people that for a season that works really, really well. In fact, it goes on for a couple weeks and for a couple of months, and they say, I'm done with all the drama of church. I'm going to go do my own thing. And, and, and I start to grow, and I start to feel really challenged and equipped myself. But this is a big deal. When we grow without the church, we cap our potential, and we limit our effectiveness. When we try to grow without the church, we cap our potential, and we limit our effectiveness. Because I can grow for a season, but if I don't have the people around me, when I start to feel weak and I start to feel inept, I don't have the person next to me to kick me in the butt and say, hey, you got to get after this. You've been, you've been slacking here. you got to pick this up. We need those people around us. That's the power of the church to hold us accountable, to encourage us, to equip us when we need to be equipped. But also when we try to grow without the church, we limit our effectiveness. See, some of us are really, really good at one thing and not necessarily good at the other. But then where we're good at one thing, they're not necessarily good at the other. And that's why the Bible talks about the church as the body of Christ also. And how each one of us in the body have different responsibilities. Then when we get called to go on mission about something, we become more effective in working together. If I got a call this year, I got a call and say, hey, we got this problem over in the Philippines. We need to go build some homes, which we've done in the past. 
And I wasn't plugged in the church, but I'm like, man, I want to get involved. I'll go do that. And so I sign up, and I'm the only one that signed up. And then I start to say, wait a minute. i got to figure out, how am I going to have the money to even build this house? We don't have the power of the church coming together to do this, which we did last year. So I'm just going to do it on my own. So i got to figure out how I'm going to fund this thing. And then I get over there, and I get over to the Philippines. And I show up, and I have my tool belt on. I got my hammer, and I got my saw. And I got all my stuff that I need to start to build this thing. And I get out there and I realize I know nothing at all about building a house. That's not where God's equipped me. And so I show up, we have some guys in this room right now who if that was them, they could kill it and they could take care of those things. But I show up and I got my saw and my, my level and all this stuff and I look at the wood and I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. Lunch break. And, and I leave and I walk away because I don't know the first thing about building a house. When I go there, some of the guys who know what they're doing, they'll say, JJ, sit here, do the same thing every time. I'm like, I can do that. I got that down. But if I was in charge of building the whole thing, that's not how God equipped me. When I try to do growth without the church, I count my potential and I limit how effective I can be. But when God brings us together, and God says, it's important for us to gather together on a routine basis to encourage each other. Because as life goes on, it gets more difficult. And we need those people in our life that are going to love us, that are going to challenge us. And I understand at times you might have had bad experiences, and, and it's because we're people, we make mistakes. The church is not perfect. But when Jesus looks at the church, he sees the church as beautiful. And as we go forward and say, God, I'm not even beginning to pretend to be perfect. But I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of your church. I want to be a part of a local extension of your church, but also want to be part of the global church, seeing what you have for us as we try to reach this world that is desperately in need of hope. God, I want to be a part of that. I believe you can change this world. I can't. I'm weak. I'm inept. But God, you working through your people can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the absolute love you have for us. And God, we know we're broken, we're mistakes, and, and God, we continue to be mistake-prone at, at times. And yet your love continues to remain. God, I pray that as, as we just start to get in this teaching of being bought in, that we understand first the purpose and, and the plan that you have for your church, to reach out to this world with the message of who Jesus is, and to love them in, in, in a really deep and measurable way. And God, I pray that once we discover your plan and your purpose, we understand that we also have a function. Each one of us have a function. We're all parts of the body. And we each have a function and, and a place we can plug in and to grow and, and to be challenged and to be equipped to use those, those talents and resources we have to reach this world. God, help us not cap our, our growth or limit our effectiveness, but let, our do, let us do our very best being plugged into what you're doing to see us reach this world. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and be seated real quick. We've got a couple things to go over that I want to be able to share. And, and really this first one, we're just kind of uh, giving this more to wet appetite. We're going to talk about this in the, in the coming weeks. But along with this series, one of the things we've been talking about, praying about as a staff, a couple of months ago, we actually went through a, a study in, in our staff uh, meetings, going through kind of what roles church membership and all stuff that plays in the church and how sometimes that can get messed up. And for a long time as a church, we've stayed away from anything that might be trappings that might kind of hold people back from getting plugged in or bring in politics within the church. And that's one of the reasons why we've not had uh, church membership as a church and how do people get plugged in. Because a lot of times membership brings along, like people have this idea, well, if, I have, if I have membership, that, then I have some sort of, because that I, I gain something and, and, and it's, it's a, a sense of entitlement that comes with membership. And so we kind of stayed away from that. And yet along with that, we've, we've 
prevented people from being able to get connected in a, in a way similar to that. And we went through this study what biblical church membership's about and why that's, why that's really a, a cool thing to have, even if it's not used very often in, in a good way within churches. And so trying to steer clear from that, one of the things we began to talk about is, okay, how can we have people connect without kind of the conflict that can come with people feeling like a sense of entitlement that comes with, with church membership? Because what we're looking for is not to have so much the entitlement, but to say, but I want to take the responsibility. I believe that God has a mission for the church, and I want to be a part of that mission. And so we've talked about this as a staff, went through this study, and we started praying about, okay, what does that look like for Rich Point Church? We don't have to necessarily do things the way things have traditionally been done. And so if membership has privileges, then what about bringing on responsibility? And so we came up with, with this, and we're going to start, we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. But we're announcing it now just so you can begin praying about it, saying if you want to be a part of what God's doing, and it doesn't bring any sense of entitlement, it doesn't bring any special privileges, but it's just saying I want to be a part of what God's doing. I want to commit to what Rich Point Church is about. It's going to be a yearly thing. But we're introducing, and we're going to start talking about this more in the next couple of weeks, but February 2nd, launching out RPC partnerships. And, and if membership has kind of that privilege, partnership is bringing responsibility, saying, I want to be a part of what's happening. I want to sign up, be part of the mission of Rich Point Church for this year. So again, in the coming weeks, we're announcing it out to let you pray about it, kind of whet your appetite for what's coming. But in the subsequent weeks, we're going to talk about what that means, what RPC partnership looks like, uh, what that means. And we sign up saying, I want to be part of what Rich Point Church is doing. Not just in reaching this area, but also literally reaching across the world. We have a chance to be involved in a lot. And part of the series is going to talk about some of the stuff that we're going to be doing on a local level, some of the outreach stuff we have planned. But also beginning, because we have to start raising funds for this one. If you're interested at all, we're going to plan a trip. We're kicking off July 26th. We're going to go down to Harbico in Dominican Republic to work with our friends at Fight Ministries. And so if you're interested at all at being a part of that, it's, it's a crazy thing. But if you've been on any of these trips, you know how powerful it is. So July 26th, for that week, from July 26th, I think it's to like August 2nd, whatever the next Saturday is, we're going to be down in Harbico working with our friends that grew up right here at Rich Point Church, really active just a couple of years ago, and they, they sold everything, moved to the DR. And we're going to go in and, and work with them, help them out. And so if you're interested at all, just begin praying about that. Again, we'll talk about that next week as well. But just begin praying about that. It's a great chance to help them out with the work that they're doing, uh, trying to figure out exactly what that will look like when, when July rolls around. Uh, last year, we had a chance to go and do a sports camp with them. We might do a little bit of that, but also help them out with, with their kind of spreading word about human trafficking and all of that. So if you have any questions about any of that, come talk to us. Begin praying about those two things, RPC Partnership and also the trip in July to Harbacoa, Dominican Republic. If you have any questions, come talk to us. If not, have a wonderful week.